Welcome to Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran, welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard, ably led by Comfort. This is your most inspirational show and the point where the greatest minds in the world converge. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pauls Just B, the Enterprise Group Enterprise Advantage, UMB Bank. Celebrating 50 years in banking in Central University, Ghana's premier private Christian university. Our media partners, the multimedia group, and the graphic business. Today, we begin a two-part leadership conversation. It's a subject that we all can relate to, but we all struggle to grapple with, and even better, to practice. And we'll find out why... Leadership is needed at the individual level, in the family, in the business, at the church, at governmental level, and across the world. Our guest is probably one of the most popular guests here at Springboard. Between 2009 and 2017, when he was last here, he's done, guess what, 12 different episodes or interventions on various Springboard platforms. He speaks on leadership across the world and has been very well known to be resident at the Manchester Business School. He recently wrote a book, a long-awaited book, I must say, if you're a regular here at Springboard, you know that one, a long-awaited book on leadership theory, practice, and cases. My guest, Professor P.K. Richardson. Prof, good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you, too. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. As I say, it's been a long time coming, but thank it God. It has been. Fun. It has finally, been, finally, yes. Finally, Eventually, we are here. Right. Let's start with your, as you say, your genesis into leadership. I, I know that you are celebrated over the world for what you do in the area of leadership. But let's start with how you got into this field and, and then roll on to your impact in the field and settle on the book. All right. I think it started in 2001, March, I think it was, when... Uh, uh, the British Council used to be headquartered in uh, Manchester. And one of the directors came to Manchester Business School and said, uh, we realize that the problem of Africa is lack of good leadership. Continent endowed with so many resources, and yet poverty reigns everywhere. And we realize that the problem is actually leadership. We do, they don't have the kind of leadership that will get things going so that development will result. So what we want to do, British Council, is to set up a program to train upcoming leaders in Africa so that they understand what leadership is. Because a lot of the time, people think that leadership is being in a position of authority. They get into power, they want the power, but they don't understand that leadership and position of authority, they are not synonymous. So we want to set up this program uh, to train people, mentor them, and get them into leadership positions in Africa so they can make a difference. And we've come to Manchester Business School because we are also based in Manchester, uh, British Council. And we're talking to you because you're also from Africa and on the faculty. And uh, for the 70 years that I was in the Manchester Business School, I was the only African there. There were Indians and others, but only African. So they had to talk to me. So we want to get together, get into bed, he said, to um, run course. And that's how leadership actually started becoming part of my, uh, uh, if you like, um, menu. Because I was trained as a business economist. My PhD is in business economics and strategy. And that's what I used to teach. I taught business economics on the MBA program, on the part-time program for 17 years non-stop. But 2001, this came about. So, okay, let's get into it. So I started looking into leadership. And I realized that it was, you know, a very, very important area. Because uh, as a business strategist, I'll go to companies and advise them or talk about um, what they need to do. To, to make progress or look at problems they haven't and then 
um, determine solutions for them, uh, and so on. So consulting and also teaching uh, companies. But leadership seems to be different because it appeared that it doesn't matter um, what a company wanted to do or what an organization wanted to do. If the leadership is wrong, then nothing else will happen. This is what I realized when British Council came in. So I started reading about it. And I found it very interesting. And then 2005, I think, was the watershed. I had met the dean of University of Shanghai Business School on a flight two years before, and we exchanged business cards. And I got a call in March from this guy. It's called Tony Ko. And he called me and said, PK, look, I've put together a group of 40 senior people, very senior, from Motorola, from uh, Nokia, um, Ford, and so on. We've put them together in Beijing. And as you know, we are very good in um, uh, China in manufacturing. And we are very good in management because we can get things done. But we are not so good in leadership, you know, uh, which is the soft skill of winning hearts and minds. We're not very good. And we want our senior people to actually become well-versed in leadership. So I've put together uh, 40 senior people, and we want a four-day course for them, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, nonstop, because here we don't joke with time. So that will be about 30 hours. And we want somebody to actually do this leadership for them, bring them up to speed with regard to leadership. So can you get somebody to do it for us? Uh, because I know you are a business economist. And I said, what's in it? What are you offering? Because if I'm going to look for somebody, I need to tell them, you know, what's on the table. Yes. I said, no, we will pay $1,000 a day for the four days. And we also fly that person business class and put them five-star hotel and give them an extra day where we give them a car to take them around the whole of uh, 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 Beijing. So I said to him, when we work in Manchester, we are paid a thousand dollars a day. I don't think anybody will fly twelve hours to Beijing to accept thousand dollars a day. So we've got to do something about it. Said, so, okay, I will double it. So you are not talking. Let's carry on. So he said we will pay two thousand for the day and um, five star hotel, business class, and so on. I said that sounds good. I will do it. So can you say yes? I'll do it. What's the problem? Said, so, I know you to be business. I said I'm a university professor. That's what matters. I'll do it. Said, oh, that's fine. If you can do it, I've met you. So if you can do it, that's fine. So as soon as I put the phone down, I went to the library and took the leadership books, four of them, and started looking at the, the content. What is leadership? Why is it important? You know, what are the leadership skills that people need? What are the sort of things they need to learn and unlearn? You know, what are the sort of uh, context issues they need to? Because leadership happens in context. So what you do in Ghana to succeed, you cannot do maybe the same thing in Kenya to succeed. So I started reading. And the course was 1st of June, and I had March. So I started reading leadership stuff like crazy. And one month later, they called me and said, we want some idea of what is going to be delivered. And I sent them a proposal and the content and so on, which I had actually got from books. And they said, this is fine. So I contacted the publishers of the books I was reading, and they brought me transparencies, PowerPoint transparencies. And I studied the subject very, very well, transparency, case studies, and so on. And I flew into Beijing and um, got there Thursday evening. No, I got there Wednesday, so they gave me a whole day to rest because at the time difference is eight hours, so you needed to rest if you got there. So Friday morning, 8 o'clock, breakfast, 9, start off. And I delivered this session seven hours a day nonstop, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So at the end of the course... Uh, they had to do evaluation. And the average was 90%, 9 out of 10. Wow. And that was the first time I taught leadership to executives and 9 out of 10. So I realized that this is something I can really do because I enjoyed it. And the money was good. And the money was good. $8,000, you know, in my pocket when I got onto the, the flight to come back. And when I got to Manchester, I was laughing all the way to the bank, wow. which was good. So that's how it started. So, Prof, fast, fast forward from there, yeah. I mean... For, for comfort and anytime we call you, so you are in Japan and then you are in this country. How many countries have you done? For training of executives and MBAs, I've done 26 countries on four continents. It's only Australia I haven't covered. We should, we should, we should arrange for that. Now that you're using a book, you should go to Australia. That's right. I should go to Australia, then I'll cover all five continents. So you've done 26 countries in four continents, teaching leadership um, in, in, in management in various universities. I am sure that for many of the places you've gone, even if I take Springboard and the Festival of Ideas and all our interventions you've been at, the first question people ask is, 
Where is your book? That's right. Agimba. Where yeah. is your book? That's right. Why, That's, why did it take you so long to write this? I, I think the problem was I love traveling and teaching more than sitting down writing. I, uh, I tend to be a very active person and uh, to really sit behind a desk talking to nobody and writing was, was a big problem for me. So research was part of my problem in academia. And um, I, uh, especially in Ghana, uh, when I started doing uh, leadership courses for the state-owned enterprises, and of course, the private sector companies like Data Bank also, um, I designed a two-day um, executive leadership for top people, CEOs and so on. And I've done it for Bank of Africa, I've done it for Stanchart and so on, and uh, New Times Corporation, all of them. And every time I've done a two-day executive course, Bank of Ghana and I've finished, people walk up to me and say, wow, we've had a nice day. Can you refer us to some of the books you've written so we can have, you know, some sort of recap? And I said, no, I haven't written anything on leadership yet. I said, ah, but what we've covered today, the, or the two days, if it was recorded and typed, that alone would be a book. So what are you waiting for? And this has always been the case. I'll do it. The last five years, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, but I'm always flying around. I was doing usually 12 to 15 international trips around the world. You every, know, every I w- yes. I will go to St. Lucia, for example, do a strategic positioning program for the Caribbean Association of Indigenous Banks. I will do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, leave St. Lucia Wednesday night, arrive Thursday morning in Manchester, and next Sunday I'm on my way to Kenya to do something for the World Bank. So that's, that was my life, you know, and flying around. So um, India, for example, I was UK government's consultant for the Indian subcontinent. So I did a lot of work in India and Bangladesh. And India, I've been there 50 times. We actually trained Indian railways managers to become competent enough to actually turn this company around. Indian railways is the biggest railway network in the world, employing about 1.7 million and it was always loss-making, you know, state-owned company. And um, every, at the end of the year, government writes a check. But they wanted us to actually give them strategic management competency. And I was director of the program for 10 years. And at the end of the program, Indian Railway actually started making profits. Wow. That was amazing, you know. So it was running around. And um, I've, I enjoyed the travel rather than sitting down writing. Then came covid COVID has devastated the world, we all know, but COVID has had some positive sides also. So I, I actually came here on, I think, early February to do some consulting work for the Minister of Finance, or Dr. Samensa. And I returned to Manchester on the morning of 12th of March. Then about 10 days later, on the 23rd of March, lockdown by the British government. COVID, 2020. Nobody is going anywhere. Nobody is coming in. So in a sense, the government actually clapped my wings. As if to say, PK, you go in nowhere. That's right. <laughs> and perhaps it was good for my wife, but she didn't care so much about it. As long as I was behaving well, that was fine. So anyway, since I wasn't going anywhere and I couldn't go anywhere, that was the time to sit down and write. So middle of 2020, I started writing. And because I taught this subject over the years, and I've spoken on conferences, and I've delivered in Los Angeles and Montreal and so on. I had the stuff. I had the material. So all I needed to do was just sit down, take the slides, and just write. So within a year, it was all done. 350 pages. Um, I'd written the case studies. Every chapter has got a case study at the end of it with questions. And um, then I needed to look for a publisher. And I met Mr. Jerry, wonderful guy. And... Uh, he came to see in Manchester. We agreed that we would do it. So eventually, he got a proofreader, and they went through it, and eventually, we were able to do this. Let so me, that's the story of this book. But how does it make you feel once now that it's finally done? I feel very good about it. I said, eventually, all this promise, I will do it, and I will do it, that my friends have uh, been uh, bombarding me with, eventually is done. And I, I, I feel very satisfied, and I thank God that you know, I've been able to uh, produce this. Because uh, somebody said to me, look, all this thing that you've um, taught people and all the experience you've gained run, running around the world, you know, Kuala Lumpur here, Singapore, there and so on, and what you've gathered, you know, and the cases that you have written, 
if you don't put all together in a book and the Lord calls you, it will be difficult for people to actually benefit from your experience and knowledge. But if you put it in the book, then even when you're gone, people will have opportunity to read from your experience and from your teaching and so forth and so on. So that is the satisfaction I have, that this becomes a legacy for others. And I, I, I'm not surprised that that conversation came up because um, when all is said and done, your thoughts must outlive you, and this is a great opportunity. Let's go down to the subject of the book, which is uh, why we are here. Leadership, very often a subject that is simple to mention, and maybe sometimes even simple to define, but oftentimes very difficult to practice in terms of the results and impact. What would make somebody be a leader? Let's right. start from there. Okay. Um, the word leader and leadership, if you look at leadership also, it's about leading people. When we talk about management, it's about getting things done. But leadership, it's about people. You lead people. You manage structures, but you lead people. And the question is, if you're leading people, why are you leading them to? You know. So a leader is somebody who's able to influence people, and it's not about forcing them, it's not about coercion. You influence them, you excite them with a new story, with a good story, so that they buy in, and you lead them to actually achieve some good common objective. So the basic definition generally is leadership is a process. It is not a person, it's a process, it's an activity by which an individual, referred to as the leader, is able to influence a group of people referred to as followers or subordinates in order to work together and achieve some good common objectives. Therefore, that title is only applicable to somebody who's able to do it. You know, it's not applicable to somebody who calls themselves leader but has not been able to lead anybody to do anything. That is why position of authority is not leadership because you can be in a position of authority and yet not able to lead people to achieve anything. It's the result that determines whether you are a leader or not. Not the fear that you call yourself a leader or in a position of authority. Would you say that there are many people who hold the title as leaders and are actually not leaders or, or not doing anything? Many. I bet there are many, 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 many. They put into position of authority and you think by being there, they were able to call on their leadership competency to lead to achieve something. But a lot of them only sit in that position for themselves and enjoy the perks, but are not able to lead to achieve anything. Um, the, the, in the United Kingdom, the icon of UK retailing used to be Max and Spencer. That was the icon of UK retailing. And Mrs. Thatcher, we used to uh, 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 shop there. Mrs. Thatcher, somebody I refer to as she who must be obeyed. Mm. And I bet I'm sure you want to know why I call her she who must be obeyed. Will you? Tell me. Yes. Mrs. Thatcher took her ministers um, for lunch at the Dorchester. The Dorchester is her favorite hotel, Parkley. And uh, settled there, all of them settled down. And then the waitress came and uh, uh, bowed to Prime Minister, what are you going to have? And she said, I'm going to have tomato soup to start, and then I'll have the beef, and I'll have some apple pie and coffee and tea to finish. And the waitress, but thank you, Prime Minister. I will now find out from your ministers what they will have. And say, oh, they will have the same. They will have the same. And that was the end of the story. So since then, I caught her, she woman my be You know, yeah, she used to shop there. Right, prop. So that is where you are coming in. That's right. That's Looking at Margaret Thatcher, there are several people who have the title of being leaders, but there's nothing to show for That's right. That's right. What is the danger when people like that hold positions? It's a big problem. Because when the person at the top is no leader or a lousy one, then nothing gets done. Because the whole idea of being at the top, Albert, is to gather people, enthuse them, incite them, you know, excite them, and get them to deliver whatever common goal that needs to be delivered. So if that person is lousy, then nothing happens. Even if somebody below him goes to me and says, Chief, I think we should do this this way because it will be better. Are you going to teach me my job? Don't you know I'm the boss here? You know, that kind of feeling. When people are incompetent, 
they are actually afraid of people coming to tell them what to do or coming to criticize them. So nothing gets done. Everything stops. Even the competent ones at the bottom are stifled because they are not allowed to do what they, they must do. So when we come, Mrs. Tachap, when she became prime minister, she inherited a big industrial, government-owned industrial company that knew nothing but loss-making, the British Steel Corporation, under her leadership. This basket case was turned around to become the most profitable steel company in the world. You know, that is what leadership is about. But whilst Mrs. Thatcher was there, we had this Max and Spencer I was talking about. And in 1996, we had the misfortune of appointing one Richard Greenbury as the CEO. And Max and Spencer has never been the same again because he wasn't up to the mark of a leader leading an icon of UK business. He blew it completely. And Max and Spencer has never been the same again. So you can have, you know, people in positions of authority who are not up to, up to, this, up to speed, up to the task. And it's very, very dangerous. For example, in 1984, IBM was the, was the darling of Wall Street. IBM was the darling of Wall Street. Yet, within six years, IBM was down. Because in 1994, IBM had a market capitalization of 100 billion. Today, it would be what? Maybe a trillion or something. And IBM margins were 10%. Now, in manufacturing, it is very difficult to get margins double digit. But IBM was doing it in 1984. Six years later, in 1990, IBM market capitalization had had margins had had. And two more years later, 1992, IBM lost $3 billion for the first time in its 80-year history. And this was under the chairmanship and CEO of John uh, Akers. He was not good. So you've given two examples, that of Marx and Spencer, and that of IBM. These That's are right. well-documented Cases, cases of how a wrong person, yes. a wrong leader, heading a business, heading an organization, can totally run it down yes. or move it downhill just to confirm the point that it's not just about holding position or title, yeah. but it's more about inspiring people, exciting them about a mission. That's right. The ability. Driving them. That's right. The ability to determine where we go. What is it that we need to do? What is the right thing to do? All right? Even in governments like India, we've got a billion people, poor and so on. What do we do for our people? You know, and I talked about Dubai some time ago. What do we do? Dubai is uh, a desert, no uh, rivers, nothing. We can't grow anything. It rains twice a year. What is it that we do to sustain this city for generations yet or more? That's what a leader actually does. He asks questions. What is the right thing to do? And then once he's determined the right thing, then he has to determine, how do I do it right? In other words, you have right thing and thing right. You know, you, you determine the right thing and then you also do it right. You actually execute it right. Because a lot of the time, especially governments can determine the right thing to do, the policy. But in the implementation, they blow it. Mm. And for you to be a leader, you must be able to determine the writing and also determine the strategy that you need to put in place to actually achieve whatever goal writing that you've set. And a lot of people in government and in companies and so on haven't got that. And the danger is appointing people who um, are nice guys, who may have been part of the party, who may be related to the president's wife, you know, who may be uh, the nice guy in the village, but who haven't got what it takes to actually influence people, get them to work, and achieve any goal. That is the danger. Because if you post somebody like that, even if he means well, if he doesn't know, he doesn't know. And the problem is that there are many people have it who don't know. And either they don't know that they don't know, or they pretend that they know. And that is the problem. So whether you don't know that you know, you don't know, or you know that you don't know, yes. in both cases, it will affect us. It will affect us badly. This and, and the problem, Alex, <laughs> is that when you don't know, you don't even know what you don't know. Wow. Say it again. When you don't know, you don't even know what you don't know. This is springboard your virtual university. When you don't know, you don't even know that you don't know. Yeah. When we come back, we'll find out what you know and what you don't know. And then delve into the various case studies that Prof has so eloquently articulated in his book, and then 
probably touch on the Dubai story. He's mentioned Dubai. Let's find out what they did differently. And then juxtapose that against Africa and ask, what are we getting wrong? And what must we do going forward? If you just tuned in or logged on and you are excited, the voice you just heard is the voice of Professor P.K. Richardson. I don't even want to say Manchester Business School because Prof is known across the world in several business schools who own him as their own. But let's say that he's resident at the Manchester Business School for several years. And he's also resident here at Springboard, your virtual university, as one of our one of our international alumni. Whenever he comes here, he calls before he gets here, and then we grab him to come here and tell us the latest in town. He's called PK, and he's written a book called Leadership, The Theory, The Practice, and The Cases. When we come back, let's find out which one is more critical. Is it the theory? Is it the practice? Or is it the cases? Please don't go away. Hello. Valued customer. Hmm. ASMO. The entire customer service team is out for lunch. Please call back in four hours. What? Me nana be di akona mama me bad service ano. Me kokra. Ah nana. With bus from Enterprise D, you will love the customer service experience. KK. I am available for you 24/7 on the Enterprise Advantage app, the Enterprise website, and on WhatsApp number 055-400-1924. Hello. Babs. Chat with Babs from Enterprise, your contact for insurance, pensions, funeral, and property solutions from the Enterprise Group. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you can be anything, who will you become? When you can go anywhere and never feel alone, how far will you go? When you have the means to make your dreams real, when will you start? When your voice can reach every ear, who will you inspire? When your money can travel faster and further than you ever could, where will you send it? When you can tell a story in every language, which ones will you tell? When nothing can stop you, and everyone's behind you and the whole world awaits you don't go alone go with us everywhere Everywhere you go. go aquaba umb is proud to offer you the best business solutions possible we have been excelling in serving ghana since 1972 and our sole interest is to make your business succeed we are committed to making you to become number one in any sphere of business or enterprise you are pursuing. With our experience in growing some of the biggest SMEs in Ghana, we can support you become the business leader in Okaishi, Suami, Abu Sokai, or any of the SME enclaves in Ghana with our SME solutions. Our latest SME loans allows you to take a loan backed by the value of your cash flow and inventory so you can increase your trade efficiently. Speak to our business bankers or visit any of our branches now. UMB Bank you first. Apply now for a degree at Central University, Ghana's leading private Christian university. Admissions are open for the 2021-2022 academic year. Degrees are available on our campuses at Mutual, Christ Temple Abusokai, and Kumasi. You can also enroll in our MBA with various specializations. Scholarships are available for needy but brilliant students. Call now on 0303-318-583. You can also visit our website at central.edu.ga for more info. Welcome back to Springboard, your virtual university, and to this very exciting discussion about leadership. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the enterprise group UMB Bank Central University with media partnership from the multimedia group and the graphic business. Today we are doing what we have called a two-part leadership conversation with one of our favorite people, the man they call P.K., Professor P.K. Richardson, based in Manchester, but known across the world for his work. He has just released a book called Leadership, Theory, Practice, and Cases. And we are so far breaking down his leadership journey, lessons learned along the way, some very painful lessons. And we closed out before the break on a simple proposition. 
if you don't know, you often don't know that you don't know. Yeah. And that is very dangerous. Yes. Somebody who holds a position and they don't even know that they, they don't know. know. And they don't know that they don't even know. I, 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 so they can pretend they know and what they do is blow it. During the break, I was just thinking about the cost to an organization, to a nation, and to a whole generation of somebody who holds a position for a long time and is clueless. Prof, you mentioned the Dubai story along the line. And in this second part, we focus on cases just to bring it home. And that's right. something you've done very beautifully in your book. Yeah. Um, you've, you've mentioned the Dubai story. What about the Dubai story caught your attention? Right. Uh, there's a, a paper that was written some time ago, Dubai Belt and the World Cave. Now, Dubai is um, a desert. No rivers, rains twice a year. Um, no natural resources. People think that Dubai has got oil. Dubai hasn't got oil. The component of Dubai GDP accounted for by oil is only 3%. Abu Dhabi has got oil and not Dubai. And they don't share it because the United Arab Emirates is actually a cluster of seven you know, villages or towns, whatever you want to call them, on the, dotted on this uh, desert. And each was led by a feudal king you know, its own village, like chief of a place. It was only in 1973, 74, that these seven, you know, which is Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Sharjah, Al-Din, and so on, decided to form a federation. And it's a loose federation. So when Abu Dhabi has got oil, the oil is not for all seven. It's only for Abu Dhabi. So Dubai has got virtually nothing. What Dubai has got is just geography. It tends to be in the middle of the world, and it's got a coast. So the leaders of Dubai are looking at this city and their citizens and branches, what are we going to do? What is it that we should do to sustain and maintain this city for generations yet unborn? And that's the sort of question leaders ask. What is it that we need to do? What is the right thing to do? And if we, they, they realize that since we don't have any factories, in, we don't have manufacturing, we don't have water and so on, maybe what we need to do is to make Dubai you know, a service city. If we can make Dubai a service city and get people to come here and spend their money, we will sustain our city. But who wants to go to Dubai? Because <laughs> when we were ready for independence in Ghana, 1997, when Freedom and Justice Building, all the ministries... 57. 57. And all these ministry buildings had been done. Dubai was a fishing village. When we were ready for independence, with Freedom and Justice and all last elsewhere, Dubai was a fishing village. You know, so the, 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 the leaders are saying, what are we going to do to also live and leave something for generations here to come? If we want to make it a service city, which is all that we can do, who's going to come here? The traditional airlines, British Airways and you know, Lufthansa and so on, when they're going to the far, uh, far East and Australia, they fly over Europe, refuel in Singapore, and they go to Australia. Now, who's going to come to Dubai? So in order to get people here, to enjoy the service we are going to provide, hotels and uh, 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 duty-free and so forth and so on. Since they, the airlines, traditional ones, will not come here, we need to build our own airline and make Dubai the hub so that we can bring them through here to spend the money we can have an economy. Because if you stand in Dubai, eight hours on your left is half the population of the world. Eight hours on your right is half the population of the world. So they happen to be in the center of the world. So if we can make Dubai Airport top class, five hotels, and get people to come here to spend their money, we can have a service economy. But the traditional airlines will not come in, which means we have to build our own airline, make here the hub. So from U.S. to Dubai to Australia, from Australia through Dubai to London and so forth and so on. So they decided to build an airline, and the name of the airline will be Emirates. But you see, as I said some time ago, and I always say, in order to create wealth, Robert, you need three factors. One, knowledge, scale, or competence. Put it together as know-how. If you want to design a car, you need to know how to design and build a car. If you don't know, it doesn't matter you want to build a car. You can't build it because you don't have the knowledge, the skill to do it. So knowledge, know-how, competence, scale, put it together, is the first factor. The second factor is the desire, the keenness, the dedication, the honesty to actually do 
what you say you want to do. To do what you want to use the skill to do. Because a lot of the time we make policies, isn't it? We want to do this. We want to be operation, feed yourself. We want to be able to feed Ghana. Live service, we talk on TV. Yes, nothing happens. The keenness, the desire, the dedication to actually drive that agenda that you want to achieve using the competence or know-how that you have is called leadership. So without that, you may actually have knowledge, but nothing will come out of it. You need the drive, you need the keenness to determine what is it that I must use, the knowledge or the skill, the know-how that I have to do. And it's not that you have to drive it, get people on board, enthuse them, motivate them, excite them to actually work, to actually achieve it. Right. It's called leadership. And the third is? And the third factor is resource, which is basically money. The interesting thing, Albert, is this. If you've got the first two, you can always get the third one. Mm. So when somebody says, we don't have money, if you've got the first two, which is, which is the, 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 knowledge the know-how or the... and the leadership, you can have the third one. The third one is not a problem. There are billions of dollars around the world looking for investment. And that's why we have banks. Banks are there. The bank manager knows that if he doesn't lend money, he goes out of business. Because what a bank do, a bank is simply a financial intermediary. You know, Albert, when you make more money, you put it in the bank because you want it to be kept for you safely. And then if I need money to buy a car or to set up a business, I go to the bank to take the money you put in the first place. The bank manager himself hasn't got money. It's other people's money. So let me take you back to the Dubai story because right. you've, you've, you've shifted to give us the three factors of world creation, which yeah. is the know-how, the keenness, and the resources. Let's apply this to the Dubai case. Right. So the Dubai has realized that they can only survive as a service economy. Right. And the service economy, they need an airline to bring people through there. Okay. Right. So they had the, the knowledge. They need the knowledge. <laughs> they need knowledge, okay. To, to, to set up an airline and run right. it. They need leadership to actually get it done. Mm-hmm. And they need the money. Right. So, the skill, the knowledge, the know-how, they don't have. So what do they do? They buy it. They contact the British Airways director, Maurice Flanagan, and bring him to a meeting in Dubai in March 1985. So, look, I want to set up this. We need the knowledge, the number one. But we don't have it. So we want you to bring it in and work with us to do it. So they convinced him, said, okay, he'll be part of it. He said, we'll provide the leadership, the land, the dedication, the keenness, the support, the political work, everything that you need to get this airline off the ground, we will provide it and back you to the head. That is the leadership. Right. And Honesty, fairness, integrity, we will make sure, you know, that when we borrow money to give to you or whatever, not, not a penny disappears anywhere. We will make sure things are done as by the book. That is leadership. Honesty, integrity, fairness, drive. We will provide that. Now, the third one is money. So Flanagan says, how much money, capital, have you got? Say, we've got only $10 million. Say, $10 million? Are you guys serious? A uh, a 747 or a Boeing 777-777 that will fly from here to London or fly from here to Australia costs about $200 million. And you want one. And you want us to set set up an airline with $10 million. Are you guys serious? Say, well, that's all we have. So what my wife said to me some time ago, Dubai has got money. I said, Dubai hasn't got any money. It's leadership that they have, not money. Because they don't even have oil. Said, that's what we have. So the determination by Flanagan and the the leaders of Dubai is, since we don't have enough money to buy the place, what do we do? Because we want to set up their life at all costs. So what they decided. You see, when leaders sit down to talk about, what is it that we do? First, can we identify the problem? Yes. What do we do about the problem? They've identified that they need a lot of money. They haven't got it. So what do we do? All right. You take that 10 million and use it to lease place. So they lease two aircraft from Pakistan International Airlines. And Albert, the rest, as they say, is this history. You know, you know, you are a very good storyteller, I must say. (laughs) Is it part of your craft as... I, I don't know, maybe... 
maybe you know um, that's what gift I've got. God has given me, but because I get the I get the picture very clearly, and once I get it, our our listeners and viewers also get it. So I'm sitting down here. I mean, since we came back in the break, you are telling me that Dubai sat down and did an analysis of what they have and who they want to be. Fishing village, desert. How do we establish a transgenerational legacy? We look around, all we have is geography. From where we are, eight hours you can reach any part of the world. Then they say geography is an asset. So we want to do a service economy driven by an airline. And you say to create wealth in any way, three things, your knowledge or know-how, your keenness, which is leadership, and the resources. And you see, if you have the first two, the third one will And you say Dubai did an analysis and said, yes. knowledge, we don't have it. They went to buy from, from British yes. Airways. Because we need it. They said the keenness, we have the values, commitment, honesty, and everything. We also have a land, which we can yes. bring as a sign of our commitment. Yeah. But we don't have the money. We have only $10 million. We need 200 to, to buy a 747. What? Just what? We released two aircrafts from Pakistan airlines, and the rest is in history. It's history. Yes. One more time. Yes. So let's push on from there. If it is so simple, why is Africa not replicating this very simple model of analyze? your assets versus your intentions, transgenerational outlook, and then start from where you are and mobilize knowledge, leadership or keenness, and resources to create something that evidently will become a big legacy for generations to come. Why have we not seen that in Africa? That, that is the problem. Because uh, if, we, if we just say a few wo- more words about the Emirates story, once they've started this small thing with 10 million, and they worked it out well, all right? They, they worked hard with that 10 million and operated honestly and uh, fairly and with hard work. Profit started coming. So once investors realized that these guys are serious, you give, they have only 10 million, look what they built. So if we lend them another 10 million, they will do great things. So money came chasing them. And Emirates now has the biggest fleet of a, three, it is in the world. Because if Emirates say we want 10 billion to buy place, all the banks will be running towards them. Simply because they, they will do their job, they will use their money honestly, and they will be able to make their returns to pay back. So banks are not afraid to lend to them. Now you come to Africa. Right. You come to Africa. Let's say we sell some gold and make 10 million. Let me use a simple figure, 10 million for the year. The question is, where do we put the 10 million? Where is the leadership that says, this 10 million, this is what we are going to do. We have sat down, we've actually thought through it, we have realized that this is an area where if you put money, there will be returns, so we go in there, and we'll be honest with it, we'll be dedicated with it, and every penny of the 10 million will go into it. If you do that, the results will be clear. Because as the Bible puts it, if you plant a good tree, you harvest good fruit. If you plant a bad tree, you harvest bad fruit. Lose gospel. So if you commit this to it and hard work, you will get the result. But what happens a lot of the time, before they even talk about putting the money into that area, half of it has been shared by people. Looted. And then when you give contrast to people, they loot half the money, so whatever they do after two years is collapse. Embrace didn't work like that. Every penny they end its profit went back in. After payment of salaries and everything, if they needed to borrow money and they went to the bank and borrowed, the banks knew that they will put every penny to work. Mm. You know, but in Africa, you know, we borrow half a billion, there's some 10% going to party coffers or whatever. You see, you can't you can get right results if you do things wrong. You see, if you know, the computer people have got a very nice way of putting it. Garbage in, garbage out. What you put in determines. So if we're going to channel the resource in and put the knowledge in and put the leadership in, the results will be great. Let's and yet we are not doing that a lot of the time. Let's push on to some of the beautiful case studies. And I must say that 
uh, there are two things that are on my mind right now. I definitely saw a number of the international case studies. But what stood out for me in your book was the attempt to have African and Ghanaian case studies. How important is it to use local case studies to teach a subject? Right. I, I think it's uh, quite straightforward, Albert. Um, all the major textbooks of the world used to teach MBAs and leaders around the world, all the examples of cases are white people, excellent people who have done very well you know, uh, in the areas of operation, like uh, Sir Lindsay Owens-Jones. This is a guy who was appointed the first non-French CEO of L'Oreal, the beauty products company. All right? He's done very well, and he's left a legacy. In fact, under his stewardship, L'Oreal achieved double-digit profit growth non-stop for 21 years. Non-stop. You know, so we've got wonderful stories to tell about people. But Albert, there are stars also in Africa. There are stars in Ghana. So having you some, you know, foreign cases, I also looked at my environment, and there are people doing very well. For example, Mansanete running uh, Standard Chartered Bank, the first lady to do so, Abno Seopoku, and look at Dr. Kwabreji. All right. Starting from a garage in Nungua, this gentleman has actually built a Ghanaian industrial juggernaut. Starting with Kasapreko. Now, it's a pinnacle group of nine companies. And he's trained his children to actually take over, which is one of the problems, Albert, we have always had in Ghana. Succession planning is never done. So when the patriarchs actually build companies, you know, and the companies become successful, once they die, the children fight over the company, everything actually disappears. When I was in university in the 1970s, we had Poku Transport Service, Apia Minka, and this and that. They all disappeared. The Kwame here and Sun, Sudru, uh, Greenland, they've all disappeared. Because succession planning is never done. They don't even understand it, let alone do it. And a lot of them, when you advise them, they won't take it. They are the monument. You are academia. You are a book person. They don't want to know. But Dr. Kwamnaji has actually successfully trained his children to take over the companies. And he's taking, you know, the, the group chairmanship, sitting at the back, looking at them and providing advice as and when necessary. So there are wonderful stories in Ghana. And I decided I would use five of them. Sam Jonah, you know, everything he touches becomes gold. So I decided Sam is somebody we need to celebrate. And then... I also got a case on uh, the president of African Development Bank, Akiwumi Adeshino. He's done fantastic. His first time, the change he brought to uh, African Development Bank is, is, is never been marked by anybody else. So such a person should be celebrated. So he's in. So there are stars, and I thought we should highlight them. And especially when the book goes international, then other people in Manchester, in uh, US, in Singapore, and so on, will also have case studies which are on Ghanaians. So you're looking at inspiring Ghanaians and Africans and then also telling our story to the rest, to, of, the to the rest of the world. Excellent. Let's come on to, the, um, before I even settle on where we can get your book, let's settle on one thing also that caught my attention in your book, the use of biblical Nehemiah. case studies. Yeah. And I like the Nehemiah one. Nehemiah. I mean, seeing Nehemiah next to some Jonah, it was very nice to read that chapter. Yeah. But tell me about your lessons from Nehemiah. Yeah. Um, Nehemiah is um, um, a Jewish gentleman who led the building of the wall around Jerusalem. You know, uh, the Jews were so stubborn. Uh, every time they broke God's law and they turned away to serve foreign gods, they had punishment. And then they would go and prostrate and cry and so on, and God will forgive them and raise them up again. Then one things are very, very good. They go back to the wrong things. So anyway, after a lot of warning by prophets, um, especially um, uh, uh, Isaiah and the second prophet uh, who, who, was, who was big in this area, um, God warned them and warned them and warned them and they will not turn from their bad ways. So they prophesied that they will be taken into captivity for 70 years. And that's where Daniel was. So they were taken into captivity. And eventually, God, God had also promised that he will bring them back. So they were given freedom to go back and they built the temple. You know, there were three leaders and Nehemiah was the last one who 
led the building of the wall around Jerusalem to protect the city. Because he went there, the walls were in ruins, and he cried, said, no, this should be uh, built you know, to protect the city. And the way he led the Jewish people to actually build the wall, it's a classic case of how to lead a group of people to actually do something that is right and necessary. Show me that. two things that caught your attention about Nehemiah. What caught your attention? What, what about the building of the wall? What was the approach that caught your attention? The, the, the desire to actually get some good common goal achieved. Because he wasn't getting people to do something to benefit himself. He was getting people together to do something which he had identified as a leader that it was necessary. A leader's business is to determine where do we go from here? So what the, is it that is necessary to do? The common goal. Common goal. Second. The common, second one is to actually, how do we actually do the common goal? Because you can actually identify the goal and either not do anything about it or blow it in the implementation stage. So apart from identifying the goal, you also have, have to have the skill to actually get it done. And that is strategy. How do you put people in charge of different parts of the job? How do you excite them? How do you motivate them? For example, people think that if somebody is skilled, then automatically the person will do something or do some work. No. Skilling somebody, Albert, is only the necessary condition. It is not sufficient. The sufficient condition to get anybody, any human being with feelings, to do something is motivation. And motivation is simply forces external or internal that enthuse the person, that engender enthusiasm and desire in that person to do the job. So he was able to enthuse the Jews that this is important, it will protect the city, it's honoring to the Lord, and he was able to get by him, mm. and was able to allocate duties, and he himself went around supervising it. You see, a lot of the time, some of our people, they give instructions, and then they go and play golf. So four things you mentioned about Nehemiah. One is a common goal, which was build a wall. Build a wall around Jerusalem. Number two was strategy, that is, skilling people and, and arranging them, them on right. the tasks. The third one was motivating them, inspiring them, That's that right. this is good for the country, it will help good us, for God, the Lord. good for our Jewish, yes. And then the Protection. final one was supervision. You see, if you don't yes. inspect, and you just expect, you won't get the results. Yes. Prof. We will definitely be back next week on this on this subject. And next week, we'll be looking at change, change management, and why it is critical at a time like this. But let's end this part, one of the conversation, by looking into your leadership crystal ball and saying that this is where I think the world will go, and therefore this is what I think leaders should do. Let's take one minute to do that before we close. Right. Unfortunately... Um the prognosis is not very good. Mm. Um, we've got the issue of um, Ukraine worldwide. And I would have thought that people will sit down, leaders will sit down and say, Russia, what's the problem? How can you resolve this? Let's sit down. Rather than, you know, Russia, you've taken this step. So we are going to arm, you know, Ukraine to fight you. Because what is going to happen is that if Ukraine gets sophisticated weapons and hits Russia, where it hurts, Russia is the biggest nuclear power in the world. Russia is the only country in the world that can sink the United States. As for Britain, we don't even talk about it. Because when Britain, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson said they, 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 they were going to... He uh, used certain words. They were going to um, get Russia down or something. You know what the Foreign Minister said? Bring it on. That's what he said. Three words. Bring it on. Because just one atomic bomb will sink United Kingdom. It's wrong. It's tiny. And the Prime Minister of Britain didn't say anything else. When he said, bring it on, that was the end of the story. So it's not that. Rather than say, look, this thing is affecting the world. Every country is suffering from inflation. Oil prices have gone up. It's affecting food. Everything is affected by this. Why can't we go to you and then sit down? Russia, what's your problem? Can we resolve it? What we are rather doing is arming one side. Now, if Ukraine gets sophisticated weapons and hit Russia where it has. Habit, Russia will respond big time. And, 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 and we cannot imagine what may happen. So the prognosis is not very good for the world. And I'm hoping that people will move away from I have authority, I have power, rather than I want to be a leader. 
And the leader is one who leads to achieve good common goals rather than fight and destruction. This is Springboard, your virtual university. I've made one promise and I'll keep it. And next week, Prof is back. This time, talking about change management and why you need it in your, in your home, in your family, your personal life, your church, your business, your organization, your nation, and the world at large. And if you are being encumbered by several changes that are bordering on a crisis, how to respond to changes you did not anticipate, what you must do and what you must not do. If you ever have thought you should listen to the virtual university, next week is the day. Prof, we can't have enough of you talking about leadership, but let's end on this book that you have written so beautifully, Leadership Theory, Practice and Cases. Help us to know where we can find this book because it's important that we get it in our libraries and enjoy it. That's right. I think... um uh, it's, it's good that we put this um, out for people to know. Uh, the book is available from the publishers. Smartline. Let me say, let me say hello to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jerry Elliott and his wife for, for doing this, doing fantastic. what we've all been asking for <laughs> and helping you to put it together. So where, where can Mr. we Mr. Jerry has been fantastic. Smartline, telephone number 024-250-1560. Smartline. Or you can get it from Kingdom Bookshops around... Cyrus Bookshop in Legon, Methodist Book Depot, and Book Look shops around. Yeah, Book Look is owned by a good friend of ours called Nana Damwa. So those are the places where you can, get, you a can get a book. And the yes. phone number for um, Smartline, 024-250-1560 is a number. Call Smartline if you have inquiries or you want to buy it for your whole library, your whole business school. That one, call the publisher direct and Prof can get the resources and you can be smiling all the way to the bank, Prof. That's right. <laughs> Like that. Thank yeah. you for coming and for being with us. Thank Let's you. do this again next week. Let's All talk right. about change management. That's right. Sure, sure. We will talk about it. Another so important subject. If yeah. On Tuesday, get this, the transcript of this conversation in print in the graphic business on page 18 and online at springboard.com.gh, graphic online and my joy online and on other sites. And next week, buckle down, join us as we talk about change leadership. Um, and how it can transform your situation. Change management and how it can transform your situation. My name is Albert Okran, thanking you on behalf of Team Springboard and our partners, the MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, Central University, and our media partners, the Multimedia Group, and uh, the Graphic Business. Let's come again next week for another big leadership conversation with Prof. P.K. Richardson. Till then, God bless you. God bless you. And God bless you.